0: Where's the other meeting? 6 Yeah, 304 6. I don't know if we're in that. Yeah. <laughs> it works so even anyway. <coughs> better Yeah. No, it's just Welcome to college. April Fools. You know what the uh, best part of it is though? It's a new year for like fishing licenses and stuff. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I've been waiting till today. So, like, you got a fishing license. Because yeah. I wrote, like, um, a few weeks ago. I was like, oh, well, I want to fish. And then I was like, it's so close it's dumb to do it right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, me and Chad tried to go here not that long ago, but we were like, he got sick, and then I'm like, yeah, let's just wait till." i That and I love how much in that small town how much they do go into when littering is involved. An aerial photography fun, fun LTC, at least for me it's going to be fun, maybe it'll be fun for you in your court. What's that? I
1: said I'm going to to, point to point point already, he's like balls in your court.
0: Exactly. Take of the action. The I I <laughs> Ooh, get a the loner. I'm going to sit with the guy who looks half-baked over here. Sorry. Hey, Rustin, why are you going to that kid's birthday party? What? What did you say? Why are you going to that kid's birthday party at TFT? <laughs> <laughs> what you <laughs> water call water call are you going to call What are you going Josh's birthday party. What party? He, he called call me. What was going on at like, your house? Someone had called you. There's an unknown number. I couldn't hear a word that. I was just in part. It's He called Spencer too. Like, uh, uh Yeah, I'll go. Tell me who you are. <laughs> 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 uh, I just I couldn't hear anything, so I was like. We were like, uh, you, him, and Anna Lisa were the only ones who answered us. We called like the entire outpost. All right. Honestly, like going through our contact list, like right, calling everyone. we were like, what did you? say? First, I don't know if I ever remember April Fools and Easter coming on the same day. April Fools, No, I was just well. I think it's been like forty-some years. Like next time we'll like Oh really? Interesting. Wrong class, three hundred four. This is LTC. <laughs> That's right. Those are leaders. They've already done this. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I <sighs> do All right. Yes. Put am sign there. I'm not Take your name. Just put a little X next to your name or something like that. Anybody do anything fun over Easter weekend? Casto, no I know it has loads of We slept in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how was it? Cold. Oh, I know that. Way we you? Wait, were went. Wayway had you be a good thing. I woke up at three in the morning and it was 37 degrees. Alright. Um hey, we're gonna jump right in, guys. So I'm gonna share with you a, a couple logistics about your um, Assignment for this week. Hopefully, uh, preaching on a stump was as much fun for you as it was for us. Um, you may uh, not do it. No, <laughs> no. <I'm> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you didn't do it. Raise your hand. Um, no, no. We'll, but uh, we will have uh, cohort combos here in an hour. But this this week, you are going to be responsible to go pray for five people. Um, pray for five people, either that you don't know or don't know well. And so it needs to be kind of in a sense of boldness saying, Lord, uh, I just want to step out. Now, here's the thing. If your mindset, and we're going to maybe highlight this as we're walking into our topic for today. But if your mindset is, God, I want to impress them. Or God, I don't want to look like a fool. Or God, I just want to like get this over with probably nothing's really going to happen. But, you know, I had this one time that I was speaking, or I was doing a prayer test, And sometimes we do these prayer texts, um, We call them spiritual readings tents because on the campus, if you say prayer, everybody has these misconstrued ideas. It's funny that the lost people on our campus have these misconstrued ideas of what prayer is. Well, um, if we say spiritual readings, then the Christians have misconstrued ideas of what we're doing. But everybody has some history ideas no matter what we do. So what we realize is (laughs) what we realize is to our campus, and we're really trying to do this an outreach, to our campus, the the lost people on our campus see themselves, typically on average, the general culture of our community is I am spiritual. And so so we have this kind of tent. We'll have them coming up and they'll and we pray for it. And we have this moment where we basically say, just let the Lord speak. And we tell them right away, okay, we're Christians, we believe in a God who has countless thoughts about you. And we would like to just pray and ask the Lord to see if he would share something with us to share with you today. And we've had people get saved in there. We've had people like, you know, I mean, incredible things have happened, constantly happening. Um, I was dealing with the demonic in the guy last spring, so that was entertaining. Um, but but uh, it was yeah, everybody was avoiding the tent. It was like everybody was praying around the tent. And nobody was actually going in. There was the but but when I was in the tent, I remember this one time we had this other Kai Alpha group come in. And I can't remember where they were at, from Arkansas, maybe. And and we were doing this prayer tent that week as part of our outreach to the campus. And I remember doing this and thinking, God, don't let me look like a fool. All these students have come all these way, all this way to watch me. Pray for people, right? You know, I had that kind of mindset, like, "Don't make me look like a fool, of God." Me, and nothing was happening. I was getting, I was getting nothing for anybody. I was just kind of like, "Jesus love to you. Have a good day." Um, and I finally realized in my heart, why, what my motivation was, what well, was my motivation. And I finally said, "God, I just want to share the love of Christ, your love, because you died for this person. I want to share your love with them right now." And instantly, bam! So I was like asking them a question, like have you been playing with the Ouija board recently? And it's like, yeah, uh-oh. Okay. So, yeah, all these things started coming out, and I was just, just, I was hitting it, bam, bam, bam. I was just knocking it out of the park all of a sudden. But my motivation was key. <coughs> our motivation is love. Love God. Love our neighbor. And so your challenge this week is to pray for people. Uh, zero, 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 eight, zero, nine. Now it is forever. Emboldened my... My iPhone passcode. Um but as soon as I say, God, I want to love this person, express your love to this person, instantly will begin to work with me because the motivation was right. So as you guys go out this week, your challenge is to pray for up to is six people. Pray for six people. Six or five? Six. Five. Did I say five? You said five. five. You've given us two. It is now six. It is now six. No. No, it is five. It is five. It is five, <laughs> it is five. I'm sorry. It is five. Pray for five people that you don't know. But here's the thing: if you're doing it simply because I'm telling you to do it, it's going to be lame for you and for them. Do it because this is just an opportunity for you to express the love of Christ to people in your world. Right? Whether it's that student in your class, and yeah, maybe it's that obvious thing like hey, you see somebody on crutches, like hey, can I pray for you. Okay, that's good, that's great. Um, but maybe it's just just seeking the Lord, God. Who can I share Your love with today? And Kaylee was actually talking yesterday. You know, she was just at the post office, and the Lord gave her a word for the lady at the post office to be able to share that. You know, they just look for those opportunities to pray for people. And here's the funny thing. I, I was in a fraternity all through college, um, and not to be overly stereotypical, but I had a lot of fraternity brothers who were very, very far from the Lord, living very, very far from the Lord. And yet, the funny thing was, prayer... Prayer was like open door. Like, let me tell you about Jesus. Like, I think that's stupid. Can I just pray for you? I don't know if it'll work, but yeah. I had a guy who, for years, in my fraternity, would just have these conversations with me because he's like, Nate, I think Jesus is is stupid. I really think it's, it's just, the whole thing is just silly. It's just, I don't get it. But you don't seem completely ignorant of the world, so I don't understand how someone who's not, who thinks as deeply as you do could be a follower of Jesus? I was like, well, that's kind of a compliment, backhanded sort of way. So, okay, so we had these conversations, and then a few, like, I graduated, I became, uh, I became, I joined South staff in Kai Alpha, and sometime later, he got a hold of me on Facebook, and said, Nate, I became a follower of Christ. My jaw just hit the floor, kind of like, what? How did that happen? And and he said, you know. I had a knee injury, actually I actually had a snowboarding injury, and was not able to work, I was in a lot of pain, and and somebody uh, named Gideon had left his Bible in his hospital room, <laughs> um, and so he started kind of reading it, for the first time started actually reading the Word, and started reading about Jesus, it's like, he knows nothing, except for what me and one other Christian friend of his have pulled and talked to him about. and. He said, God, if you're real, if you, nah, I need help. I really need help. And he said, God, if, you're, if the God of Nate and Jared is real, could you help me out? And he put his hand on that Bible, he put his hand on that knee and said, could you help me out? Dang, helped him out. And he's like, could not not? All the smoke screens, everything. And here's the thing. You know, when we talk about last week, and we're going to review this, but when you talk about like, hey, sometimes you just, you know, you've got somebody who's hostile to God. And they have a low desire for community, you just need to minister now. You just need to give opportunity for God to work right now. And this is what we're challenging you to do in this week. Stretch that muscle. Maybe you've prayed for a friend once, or maybe you've stepped out once. But I'm saying, like, all once a day from now until next week. Pray for someone. Pray for someone. Yes. Is does that mean tonight? Uh it can be tomorrow. It, just six times before next LTC. Yeah, yeah, five, five. five. Six. you say six, five times, five. I'm sorry, I have six, we did, we had you guys pray for six people last year, I think, and some, for some reason we dropped it five, fun. so, was it five last year? Something we had you do six times, so, I don't know, I got it in my head, five times, so once every school day, right, once every school day, and then you, know, you can do it five times a day, that's fine, I don't care, but, but loosely, five times, once every school day. Make it a rhythm. Make it a habit. Don't just go out there and like you know, pray five times, and then never, ever do this ever again. Right? That's not the point. Right? We're like trying to push you past your comfort zone into because what we talk about this sometimes. What you are comfortable with is largely based on what you've experienced as an extreme, right? So we're just pushing that comfortability out there. Jesus was praying for people all the time. Uh, we need to too. Okay, so today we are talking about we are talking about uh, transformative community, and that's kind of a, a, a big picture concept. We're talking about um, transformative community. We're talking about creating culture, because what you guys are doing is creating a culture. You know, what is a culture? Well, it's a we'll get to that, but it's kind of a shared uh, group of values. And there is something powerful when there is a community that holds common values. A group of individuals who hold common values, common beliefs, common experiences, all that kind of stuff. There's something powerful about that. More than a a sermon, more than uh, your small group lesson, more than your one-on-one teachings, the community is going to be maybe the most powerful tool, empowered by the Holy Spirit, guided by God in your life, but the community is the most powerful tool, quote unquote, that you have in your tool belt. And so we're going to talk about, well, how can we have that? How can we do community in such a way that it's that kind of transformative culture? Um, I remember when I was at Sam Houston State doing my internship, um, I was, there was someone who dishonored people, I hated, uh, you know, talking behind people's back, it was kind of bugged me and something like that, but I never understood the idea of honor until I went there, because all of a sudden, I showed up at the door, and within probably the first 48 hours, I had like four or five guys honoring me, you don't even know me, what are you, you know, and, and here's the funny thing, though, I had never experienced anything like that, do you know how easy it was for me to pick up on it, I instantly started honoring people. It, just, it was just the air I was breathing, and and it just started coming out. But it was a whole other thing when we came here. It wasn't like we went into like dishonoring each other, but realizing we need to now create something. It's one thing, but there's something about culture you just pick up on it. When I was in Russia. There were things you did. The way I drove just got really, really packed because it was just the culture, right? I mean, yes, you can drive on the sidewalk. Why wouldn't you? I mean, that's just a given, right? I mean, I mean, I never got into a fist fight, but I certainly certainly saw that. You know, guys just get out of their car and start swinging. Like, just walk up to each other, just start going at it. Right? You know, it creates a mindset of, within you of like, what is acceptable, what is okay, what is permissible, and what is encouraged. and. What we create when it comes to Christian community is good or bad. It's going to influence the people in your life. That is going to be a thing The air they breathe is going to be the thing that they're going to replicate, to emulate. And so we want to talk through how do we create a community that has the values that we want to express? How do we intentionally do that? I have a small group leader here just... I feel like I maybe told this last week, but I, I had a small group leader, one of my guys I uh, was talking to this last week, and I asked him, I said, you're a small group leader. What was it about his discipleship method that impacted you? He said, honor. He said, the guy honored me so much, he was like, I didn't believe what he told me about myself. Because he kept speaking truth. He kept speaking identity. He kept speaking these things of God over this guy. And he was like, no one ever told me this. Nobody ever spoke that way. Nobody ever believed in me that way. But this guy kept telling me who I was. And I was a man of God. And I was courageous. I was strong. I was, and, and I just began to believe it. Over time I began to actually believe it. Right? So how do we create that environment where people are going to be lifted up into this love relationship with Jesus because of the community around them. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I want to try, I don't know how your mind always works, but for me, I kind of like seeing them just a, a, line, a very lineal, <laughs> linear, lineal, that's not very, but uh, just kind of a progression of where are we, where are we going? And so we have, last week and this week, we're kind of going through find, fight, and then really going forward we're going to be talking on a number of topics that fall into the feed area right find there's three things we're asking smaller players to do find people you gotta get out there you gotta find them you gotta like strike up the conversation you gotta get going and and you have to learn how to pursue people uh, because most community in this world is community of convenience but we're talking about a kingdom of god an army of of community that is a family that is fighting for a cause of jesus and reconciling people to him and to his cause so it is an intentionality where we are used to convenience um and so you have to find you get to reach out you have to pursue and intentionally connect with them you have to fight for them which is yeah, pursuing beyond just the initial conversation but actually pursuing their hearts pursuing a voice in their life right so find you kind of talk through Uh, kind of those six steps, right? We talked about those six steps last week. These are not like absolute, this is how you do it, but this is just kind of like, I find it's helpful to have a, a baseline outline that I work from. And so this is kind of our baseline outline. You're gonna find people by going out there, and maybe you're just gonna you're just gonna like find them. Like you've got like old high school buddies that are now coming to CSU, or you've got this person that you're in a lab with. You just kind of be able to strike up the conversation naturally. Maybe that happens. And That does happen. We praise the Lord for that. But sometimes you just gotta go out there. And you need to strategically place yourself, uh, or just be looking in your world. That's what we're talking about. Where it's a little bit easier, it's a little more of a convenience thing. Two, start the conversation, right? That was one of our exercises. Just strike up conversations with people walking by on the plaza. Uh, Three, get them talking about themselves, because we're all a little narcissistic and we like talking about ourselves. Um, You're learning about them. You're honoring them. um, And by asking questions, you can even bring the conversation to the Lord as you learn how to ask good, pointed questions. Um, An exercise we'll get to is like bringing up the Lord by just asking questions, five questions or less. Um, four, share about your community, right? When they start asking you about, or well, what are you into, right? You ask them all these questions, what are you into, what do you like to do, What is your major, where are you from? And, you know, all of a sudden you start, they start asking, well, what about you? What are you into? And you be intentional. Amongst anything else, I'm into rock climbing, I'm a junior, I'm in accounting. Uh, I'm also part of a, a community, a Christian community on the campus called The Outpost. You ever heard of The Outpost? Not i heard of that. Okay. Um, do you have any history with God? Uh, yeah, I, have, I grew up, you know, going to church with my grandma. Yeah, what does that mean to you today? Anything? So, fit five. Ask God's question, right? Get to that place if you haven't already gotten there in question three, or step three. You got to step three. You don't have to do five. But if you start talking about God in step three by just asking questions, then it's like, well, what you, you know, oh, you you believe in Jesus? Cool. Well, let me tell you about like You're still going to go to four. Um, but the number six, assess what to do next. You always need to have a plan. This is the biggest, one of the biggest challenges small group leaders have is they strike up the conversation. They don't have a plan. You need to have a plan because your plan is not organizational. Your plan is relational. Your plan is to keep the relationship going. You want to keep the relationship going, but that means a level of intentionality that we're not used to. And so that's what you're being challenged and charged with as a small group leader. It's like, hey, you're the one learning to be intentional in a way that maybe you just haven't before. So then you're being in a fight. You have a plan uh, based on how you assess where they're at and, and where are they at with Jesus. How interested are they in your community? Do you guys click? And if they don't want one of those three, you probably aren't going to get very far with them. And I'm not going to say if the Holy Spirit tells you otherwise, let the Holy Spirit. He trumps me, for sure. But, in general, don't spend your life pursuing people who think it's fun to hang out with you, but aren't okay with Jesus being around. It mean, doesn't mean that they have to want Jesus. Because if they have to want Jesus, then we'd just be a holy huddle. And that's not what I want. And that's not what I'm talking about. But if you can't bring Jesus up, if they're just totally like shut you down and offended and annoyed by Jesus altogether... Guess what? You're never going to have brotherhood with them because you can never bring him into the community, into the relationship. And so they're not there yet. Um, what do they want? They need to want one, and you'd be okay with the other two. Give them what they want. You know, do they want you? Do they want Jesus? Do they want the community? What do they want? Focus on that in your strategy on number six. What to do next? Give them what they want. Give them what they want, and then begin to push to the others. Uh, if they're hostile to God, that's what we talked about the end. If they're if they're really hostile to the Lord, but they desire, they want you. Know, if they're low on wanting you or your community, and they don't like Jesus, then you just need a minister right now. That's my buddy in my fraternity. Like, let's pray. You know, I never got to do this, but you know, let's pray right now and see if the Lord will heal you and your. You know, let's let me just have a. I think I maybe have a word from the Lord for you. Let me just share that. Just minister right now. If they are open to community, minister still look for an opportunity to minister to them right then. You need to push them into a place where they're going to desire God, um, because they're probably not going to go very far into your community otherwise. But give them some third space. Give them a place where they can uh, not feel threatened. It's like, hey, let's go to a, you know a large group might not be the best first step for them uh, unless they're unless they're hostile in the sense of like I'm curious to like. Debate you about your belief afterwards, like, but you can assess that most of the time. Just focus on community. Uh, if they're looking, then ask questions. Uh, I mean, if Lord gives you something to minister, always minister. But I, I shift away from emphasizing looking for opportunity to minister. So if I can get them into community, they'll tether them to me longer term, and then I can minister to them through that community concept, which is more powerful than that first time meeting and greets and let me do this kind of thing. So I'm just, I'm just asking questions, just trying to honor them and invite them to third space. If they're really lonely, just invite them to third space. Well, you brought up Jesus, but I'm not going to push him right now. You know he's what I'm about. And if he shows up it's a community, uh, then he's okay with Jesus being around because he knows I'm about Jesus and he's here. So that's, that's kind of loosely fighting. And we talked about a lot of the principles of fighting. You know, pursue intensely. Pursue in general. Um, pursue intensely. Come across casually. Uh, all those kind of things. So that's where we've come from. That's where kind of review of last week. Now let's go and jump into a little more this week on feeding. So you found them. You fought for them. You have a voice in their life. Now. How do I feed them? How do I pour into them? How do I disciple them um, in this context? So the core thing that we always talk about is our core method of discipleship is doing life together. Everything flows out of that sort of mindset, doing life together, um, or inviting them into my life, if that is as possible, or engaging them in their life if that's not so possible. But ideally, doing life together includes kind of four components. Memory creation. We talked about this, I think the first, second week maybe. But memory creation, right? Just that's the thing like, hey, I have these memories with friends from college. That I I might not have seen them for like four years. The instant I see them like talking about, remember that time when we did that thing and... There's something about memory creation, making memories, that it tethers you to someone. It tethers you to someone. Nobody wants to just hang out. Um, That's, especially for guys maybe, I'm not trying to overgeneralize, but especially for guys, this is an area where we need to be conscientious. Um, Girls, to be honest, typically, I know I'm overgeneralizing a lot, um, but girls tend to do better in the typical small group context of like face-to-face, like let's sit around, and talk there's this connecting that happens so much easier for them guys if we're not getting bloody or in danger of our lives like we're not bonding so there's over generalization for sure but there is kind of that principle of like girls bond face-to-face guys bond side-by-side and that often does have some core truth to it so memory creation is is huge um, living room space right just having memories like, hey, I'm not, I can't just be married to Lindsay and be like, yeah, let's have a vacation once every six months and we'll catch up periodically in between. No, we need to have like, like being married means I have space with her. Our lives have regular, consistent, ongoing space. And sometimes this, actually, to be honest, this is something we're talking about for next year. to like, how do we help? In this, because the times in our ministry where our ministry has maybe been healthiest in this living life together is we've created unintentionally almost, but living room space. There's space where there's our small group guys or gals just knew they were always just with us. We were just being. There was no like high agenda. There was no like event. It was just doing life on a regular basis. Um, you need to you need to invite them into the components of your life. Does part of living room space, but living room space isn't your whole life. Like my guys in my resource group, oftentimes they'll experience a little bit of me putting my kids to bed just because someday they're going to be a dad and single boys are terrified of little kids. So it's like, let me show you what I do to put my kids to bed, right? Now they don't do that all the time. They don't need to do that all the time, but they need to be invited into a little bit of that. See a little bit of that and impact is impactful. Your life is what's most impactful, not your lessons, not your knowledge, your life is what's most impactful. So pursuing them or laying them in pursuing them in their life, you know, let them teach you something, that kind of thing is huge. And then we've got, of course, the structures of the outpost. So weekly meetings, maybe st- structured one, one that kind of thing. Okay. So that is kind of the big picture method. Now within that comes all kinds of stuff this is going to help. This is how you're going to impact people. But how are you going to impact people? Cause I had all my fraternity brothers who basically had all of this, all of those. Um, and a lot of my fraternity brothers are awesome. I mean, I'm not saying anything about, them. I, I loved being, a, I was vice president of my fraternity. I loved being that, but a lot of them were not living the way that I would think, you know, you should live. And, and they had all these things, but their core, the core of their life wasn't a sink, right? So they were infusing values, they were infusing culture, but the culture they were creating wasn't a godly culture. So these things will basically impact people in what you are about. Um, now, you know, then we have to get into some of the conversations about, well, what are, you, what are you about? You know, what is, where is your character? How strong is your character? How deep is your Devo life? How are you in these things? Um, but that is, that is kind of big picture. Okay, so let's talk through just some structures. Again, none of the, what I'm going to say is quite absolute, but it is helpful, again, to have some just big picture steps of understanding what is normal, what is normative that you can kind of work from. Um, so, how do you feed somebody? Well, it change, it's a little bit different depending on whether you're a follower of Christ. That you're pursuing or a non-christian you know is this somebody who already loves the lord already knows the lord um, or is it somebody who has no understanding that of course is going to impact a lot of a lot of your approach to how you pour into them and feed them um, let's talk about uh, the non-christian the one who has some other worldview, some other belief system, or some other choice that they've made that they just aren't serving him. This is not an absolute, but there are common progressions that that we see. Most of the time, okay, so step one, just to kind of review really fast, you find, you gotta find them, right? So look at the criteria of friendship. Have you found, you know, are they okay with Jesus? Are they okay with your community? You need to fight for them. And typically, with with a non-Christian, they're not looking for Christian community. They might be looking for community, but they're not looking for Christian community. The thing that most often is the gateway for for a non-Christian is you. You are the relationship. That relationship with you is going to be the front door. They're not like, oh, I'm looking for Christian community. Awesome. That's their front door. No, I mean, that might be the Christian's front door, but for you, or for them, before they want Jesus, they need to want you. That's normally the way it works. So it's going to start with your friendship with them. Then you're going to begin uh, to feed them. And how, how do you feed them? Well, there's kind of two broadly, uh, and you probably could break it down into a number of other things, but here's two things that constantly are kind of working in my mind. In this area of how do I feed? How do I pour into that uh, non-Christian? Of course, all of these things here, but how do we take? How do we take that into practical? What do they need? They need two things. One, they need community. They need Christian community. Um, they might not want it. It may not be a felt need, but it is a need, <clears throat> and it's the most likely next step to them coming to have a felt need for Jesus. So their community is is critical. Parallel to that is kind of like apologetics. Now, here's the thing. Apologetics is this really funny word. It sounds like really bad. It's like, why are we apologizing for being Christians? Now, apologetics <clears throat> isn't, uh, isn't uh, that. Apologetics, and I forget the original, you know, thing that developed into that. But, but basically, it's, it's an argument, it's a defense of faith. and And most of the time, people have strong mental blocks. Your job in this season is to try to break down the blocks that are holding them back from Jesus. Here's the thing, everybody wants Jesus, they just don't know it's him they want. And there's things in their mind, there's things in their life that are holding them back from wanting him, from feeling the desire, connecting the dots that he is what they're wanting. And so how do I break those things down? Um, Apologetics, we actually minimize this a fair bit in the outpost because we're emphasizing community so critically. And apologetics has often in the church, frankly, been seen as a silver bullet. If I can just convince them, then they'll want to become a follower of Jesus. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Um, but there is a place. And sometimes we're probably a little weak here most of the time. But uh, apologetics does have a place. Let's talk about that just for a second because we mostly emphasize community. Apologetics has a place because when I am wrestling with the idea of God, no matter how much community I have, I might love you and I might think you're just sweet for how you how ignorant you are about how the world really works, Right? I kind of see that with my grandmother. I love her. She had an iPhone for two years that she put in the shoebox in her closet because she couldn't figure out how to use it. I'm just like, you're so sweet and ignorant, and I love you, but right, I'm not gonna be looking to you for any advice, right? So sometimes people can see us that way. Um, I had a conversation on the plaza just this week when we were doing, uh, when we were doing, testimonies that was that was interesting there was a couple that stopped a guy and a girl uh just stopped uh and listened i don't know if they were a couple or if they were just friends but but they were there and they were listening to a couple of testimonies and i walked over and just said hey i guess with a christian group or are you just curious or listening and i said no we're just listening and the guy started going into how he has some real objections so and personally, I kind of enjoy these conversations. Uh, little, little, little morbidness in me is kind of like, because here's the reality. I can trump any 19-year-old guy who thinks he has some idea of philosophy or theology or whatever. Like, that's it's a non-issue. But so I was like, okay, let's talk about this. And we start having these conversations, um, questioning. And he's kind of getting heated sometimes. I'm trying to calm down. I'm trying not to, you know, try to be constructive in this conversation, but I'm realizing, like, I'm, you know, like, okay, where am I going with this? What am I doing here? And we have this, like, 45-minute, hour-long conversations, um, which is is fun for me, but at the end of the day, we have this hour-long conversation. Um, He admits, like, some of the things that he said maybe weren't Logically, you know, blah blah blah. But he still says, this is all ridiculous, and he walks away. And and we left, you know, it was good, we left fine, everything like that. And I was like, you know what? I have these conversations once in a while. And maybe down the road, the Lord will use it, you know. I think that's like one of the worst excuses in Christian knowledge. He's like, I was scattering seed. I smiled at them today. They're going to know Jesus loves them. No. <laughs> <laughs> but here I am, I'm like, what did I do? I just spent an hour of my life pouring into a guy, and what is going to happen to this? Probably nothing. Apologetics is not the silver bullet to bring people to the Lord. Now, I, had a, I walked away from that, and I immediately walked into another conversation with another small group leader who was just talking about one of their guys who, who had been walking out a young, uh, young, immature faith and had begun to come across some stuff that mentally, intellectually, they didn't know how to handle, and it, and it was wrecking their faith. And in fact, they came to the small group leader and said, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. Now, here... This, it was such a strange contrast for me. I'm like, here I am wasting an hour of my life to some guy who doesn't want it, when I need to be over here with this guy, wherever, you know, wherever he's at, because he wants it. But there's a mental block, right? There's where apologetics works. There's where apologetics is important and where it comes into play. Um, so basic resources. If you don't feel like you're good here, and most young Christians, this is like the area that scares them, like. They're afraid of meeting like, you know, Richard Dawkins in, in flesh you know, on the campus, and like you're like, I don't know if. You know, this is where most college students feel a little bit of anxiety. Don't feel anxiety. Don't stress that. Um, but you do probably need to grow in this area a little bit. This isn't because it's not the silver bullet, right? But it is a place where it's important to grow. So good resources. Look up William Lane Craig. Uh, he, has a, he has two podcasts. One's just a kind of a teaching on theology. The other one is um, an apologetics look at faith. And uh, William Lane Craig is maybe, as far as I know, he's probably the best apologist in the area of the scientific. Um... He, uh, he was ranked in the top 50 most influential philosophers of our day. Just secular uh, perspective on that. Some of those kind of things. So William Wayne Craig, awesome resource. Robbie Zacharias, uh, he's a little bit older and is incredible. He has incredible books. Uh, I suggest reading anything from him. Robbie Zacharias is the same kind of thing. These two men are the guys who go to the Harvards and the Yales and they debate with the people like, in fact, I think William and Craig actually did debate once with Dawkins. But um, so the, these guys, but Robbie is is huge in the area of interfaith dialogue. You know, William and Craig, speaking on like science, that kind of thing. You'll hear him talk. You'll feel smarter and uh, less smart all at the same time, right? Uh, he'll tell you things like all the cosmological arguments or the uh, you know I, I don't. He'll go into stuff, and you're like, I need to you know I need a research some sort of stuff. It's awesome. He has like a 20-minute podcast with William Craig. Uh, It's 20 minutes. It's like nothing. Uh, You can go through that. Robbie Zacharias has awesome books. You can look him up online. There's also a really good book called Reason for God by Timothy Keller. Uh, One of the best just overview books I've ever seen uh, on apologetics. And uh, uh, Timothy Keller being a Pastor in New York certainly at his church, which is kind of a mega church, is all mostly young adults. So he breaks every norm. But in that context, New York, young adults, he's dealing with every debate there is, right? He you know he's heard it all. And so the book is kind of his top ten or top fifteen most common arguments for why people don't believe, and just his look at those arguments. So those are some great resources. Um, <clears throat> but but again where we're really trying to go is community community both of these apologetics and community are breaking down barriers <clears throat> when when we first came to the campus like nine years ago one of the first students we met the first day i think actually of, like door movements was this guy chris hewitt and yeah you're like one of the few people actually know chris hewitt now because he's so old but chris hewitt Came from California. He came to or- to Colorado because in his own terms, he wanted to live life to the fullest. And that was basically smoking a lot of weed um, and snowboarding on the weekends and partying on the weekdays and maybe going to class if he was sober enough to go. That was his idea of living life to the fullest and that's what he was here for. So we met him and he met, he met Mikey Stewart and one of my teammates, Josh Nicholas, Mikey being also the follower Christ and the first student in our, small, in our uh, community when we first pioneered. And and Chris Hewitt met these two guys and he just loved them. They had so much fun, love and laughter, they just were doing life so well together and he couldn't get away. Now he would come to small group meetings, like the weekly meeting, and he had to sleep like in the corner while they were all trying to do like, small group, it was super distracting. In fact, my staff guy, Josh Nicholas, asked me, I remember we were at Wild War, outside, sitting down, and he was like, can I kick him out? Can I? <laughs> Is it okay? Do you give me permission? I said, no. No. Yeah, he was honestly like, I feel like he's distracting everyone else. Like, I think it's like unhealthy, almost, how he was. But I was like, just, something's happening. Just He's coming around for a reason. Just keep fighting. But the community loved him. And Josh loved him. He really did. But he was just wrestling with this, like, how do I protect the sheep, right? This is like a wolf. He's, like, just, like, totally, like, trying, you know, pulling everybody away, trying to just make them, you know, go partying and you know, all this kind of But But Chris loved this community. And this community was just pouring into him and just loving the Lord in front of him. And even though he was distracted, he couldn't have cared less. They were, it was pouring into him. And Chris' break happened, he went away, he went back to California, and he got away from the community for a little while, and he got back, and everything changed. He began to ask real questions. I remember when we were in the car, Josh got a text from Chris, like Chris was like, why are you different? And Josh was like, what are you, what, what's going on? Like, he started asking real questions, and he was in that place of asking real questions, because he began to realize the community, how different the community was. From his community, from the place of honor, from tearing down, the place from loving versus you know backbiting. they so different. He began to ask the question, and it was there um, that now we're gonna come back to community, but but we're gonna we get to step four here. So step four, step one, find them. Step two, fight for them through your friendship with you. Step three, feed them. How are you gonna feed them? Community and having a mind in love with God that actually can. Um, argue effectively the concept of faith. Step four, come to a place of humility. Those two things, the community, a little bit of apologetics, just being like, hey, you can reason your faith. People don't have to check their mind out the door. um, Brings you to a place of humility. And here's the thing. Two different people in the Bible basically had doubts with Jesus. Thomas, he has one little statement, and for the rest of Christendom, he is known as Doubting Thomas, right? I mean, come on, guys, like, give me a break, right? Just, you know, it's just a weak moment, right? But on the other side are the Pharisees. They both say, prove it. So one, Jesus says, okay. Shows up, hangs out takes some bread, takes some fish, eats, you know, walks through a door. That's pretty cool. Hey, party trick. But he, Jesus, answers in a loving, relational, impactful way. The other ones, the Pharisees, prove it. What does he say? You have the sign of Jonah, and you're not going to believe. I'm not going to do anything for you. He basically said, you're going to get what everybody else is going to get, and because you don't What's the difference there? Is pride. When you come to God, and this is the problem. This is the problem with with so much of our world. When we come to God in judgment, you know how arrogant that is. That we would come to the Creator God in judgment over Him to say, "Prove it," because I have all these things against you, God. I have this whole laundry list of accusations against you. Prove it to me. And he says, no, you don't want me anyway, so I'm not going to give you. But when someone is saying, I really am not sure, but if you, if you really are who you are, if you really are who you say you are, I will bend my knee. I will bow. That's when God says. It's in that place of humility. But how do we get people? This is the thing we have been talking about this in our community for years. How do we get people to a place, to that place? And what happened for Chris was, was the community softened his hard heart to a place of humility. And he started saying, why are you really different? And it was in that place, he was at a large group, and I was preaching. And it was nothing that deserved what happened to Chris in that moment. Because Chris just, we went back into worship, and Chris just basically had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that really freaked him out. Like, doesn't believe in God, thinks is all hoax has an encounter with God, and just freaks him out. Because why? Because he's become Thomas. The community has brought him to a place of saying, God, who are you really? So it was in that place that it brought him to a place of humility, and in that, the step five, God tends to show up. And this is not a formula, it sounds like a formula, but there is a principle here that does often kind of work itself out this way. That when we come to God humbly, God move, will move heaven and earth to make himself known. Because we want to know. Not in judgment over God, but in humility saying, I'm not going to believe this just because everybody else believes this. But if you're real, I will bend my knee. But I want to know. It's in that place that God shows up. And awesome things happen. And then, hopefully, ideally, often, salvation comes. Chris Hewitt was two weeks later in Mikey Stewart's house while he bent his knee and all the guys in his small group stood over him as he prayed and gave his life to the Lord. Um, there's a great book. If you are looking for some light summer reading, this is an easy read. Um, it's called Seeking Allah, Fighting Jesus. Uh, it's a book written by Nabil Qureshi, who... Uh, Tragically, this this year has actually died. He is is about my age. He's actually even a little bit younger than me. Um, However, for whatever redemptiveness of all this, to his dying day, he was professing, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. It's all true. And maybe one of the last arguments uh, that the rejectors of him and his story uh, had was taken away in his death and the profession on his deathbed because... They could no longer say, you know, he's just you know, getting all this popularity and all he was getting good deals, or he's getting you know, whatever by this like fictitious story. You know, this happened. And what happened was this story. He was a college student, he was from an Islamic family, he met a Christian who knew his stuff and knew how to ask good questions. And over the course of their friendship, he didn't want Jesus. He thought he knew what Jesus was about. He was Muslim, so he believed in Allah. And he thought Jesus was a prophet, but not God. Um, he found, but he was okay. The criteria was the same. He was okay with, he wanted this friend. He was, he was best friends with this Christian guy. This guy, they had this chemistry. They were friends. He was okay with Jesus being around. They were debating all the time. Um, and he was okay with the community being around. You know, there was many times when he would actually start to engage a little bit with the larger community. And, and through that, you see this this, basic, this pro- progression through him you know, same, same thing. Uh, through the friendship, um, they started going into some apologetics, like, hey, okay, tell me why Muhammad is, is the true prophet. Tell me why, can the Quran hold up to historical scrutiny, can, you know, all those kind of things. And, and he was asking the same of this Christian guy, which, so at the end of the day, he came to this place of realizing, yes, um, Christianity can defend itself, no, I've, I've discovered, uh, surprisingly to him, uh, that, that his faith could not hold up to the same level of intellectual scrutiny. But that did not bring him to salvation. Um, he came to a place of humility and actually beginning to really pray as he prayed to God, God, who are you? And as he began to pray to God, who are you? Some pretty incredible things happened in that season. You have to read the book to see it. And it was after that, uh, he gave his life to the Lord. So, uh, great book. I just recommend it. It's basically a, a depiction of a little bit of what you're looking at doing as a group leader. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. Okay. Now, let's backtrack just for a minute into transformative culture. <laughs> um, so, what about, how can we create this culture that is... Transformative. Now, we let the Holy Spirit lead us. It's the love that we have for one another. At the end of the day, that is it. There, this is just some like, like, how can we be as intentional as possible in all of this? But we always, you know, remember once and always that our goal is, if we have love one for another, they will know us by our love. Right? That's what the Bible says. They will know us by the love that we have for one another. But uh, here's some, here's some. Basic ways that we, the community, should be expressing that. One, culture is created. Cultural values are created by the heroes that we make, right? Every kid who has you know dreamed of being a professional athlete someday knows this principle. You you try to emulate your heroes, and there is a place where where we honor those who have a walk with the Lord that's worth emulating. You know, Paul. Said, follow me as I follow Christ. Emulate my life as I'm as I'm just a little bit further ahead of you. But though we see that uh, expressed out, certainly with Jesus, are we honoring him? Are we honoring him in the community? Are we lifting him up, or is he simply a intellectual exercise that we have to do sometimes? When we talk about, you know, yes, I can answer the Sunday school questions. Yes, Jesus is you know, the answer to whatever. Do we honor him? Or is he simply an intellectual understanding of ours? So the heroes we make uh, is critical because what, who are we trying to emulate? What is a community looking up to as, as high honor or uh, the heroes that we make? Two, the actions that we celebrate, which is in line with the same thing, but maybe is a little bit more nuanced. Um, what is what is measured? Gets attention is a this is saying thing, uh, but it's just the idea. When when Duncan Chance first got in the Kai he gave his life to the Lord, um, but had knew I mean, nothing about the Lord. Um, was hanging out with the community, the Christian community, and they were constantly talking about O.D.G.s, <laughs> which is what we just call old dead guys, right? These guys that kind of heroes that we celebrate, uh, guys like C.S. Lewis or Bonhoeffer, who died in World War II under the Nazi regime, or different guys like that. And we and we celebrate these guys because, and women, but the, because they lived incredible lives and they wrote down in books uh, their lives. and How many of us would love to hang out with C.S. Lewis if we ever had a chance? Well, we can, we get to, because they wrote down their most deep, in their minds, what they thought was the most impactful <laughs> or important thoughts, and they wrote them down. So we get to hang out with these guys. So he was hanging out in this culture that honors, you know, that, that was think, has this thought life, that's been spurred on by fellow followers of Christ so throughout uh, Christian history, and he realized, I don't like to read, but I'm going to have to read some of these guys because I want to have something to talk about, right? So he all of a sudden became a reader, became actually a pretty avid uh, reader, because the community was honoring that action, right? When there's a. Um, in psychology, they call it serve and return. Uh, in child development, serve and return, um, which is basically to say, the kid's gonna throw something out to you, and how you return that reaction, how you react to that action tells them, okay, yeah, that's, that's worth doing again. No, that's not worth doing again, right? So, so I have a little little boys, and, and first time one of them says dada, now they probably don't even know they're doing it. They're just like blah, 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 whatever things they can think to say. But something sort of sounded kind of like Dada. And instantly Lindsay and I are like, Good job, way to go, your first word. And the little kid's like, click. Let's do that again. Let's do that again. Okay. What is Dada? Dad data? You know you're like, duh, duh, duh. no, no, no. Dada. Oh yeah, okay, I got a reaction from that. Okay, what is that? Oh, it's connecting to this. This connection I've got with this guy. Okay, so I'm starting to, so right, right, it's starting to like <laughs> make sense. Right. I got this there's this guy, he kind of holds me a lot and like okay, I'm starting to connect the dots, right? So it's serve and return. We do that, and that's not anyways to to you know make silly what we're doing with our guys or girls, but culture is created this way. And culture is created this way with 30-year-olds as well as 5-year-olds. It was the same thing with me and honor when I went to Sam Houston. It's like, okay, I'm being honored. Now, if I honor somebody that is celebrated in the community, the actions that are worth uh, doing. So what are we celebrating? Guys, are we celebrating stupid stuff all the time or are we celebrating good stuff? Girls, are we celebrating the things of God, honoring the things of God, or are we just talking about, and this is not bad, but are we just living our life you know, lifting up, you know, what boy is cute or what? You know, I went on a date with and So those things are great. We're living life together, but are we honoring the things of God? You know, I was—I have a friend, uh, kind of a loose friend. I, I know him, and we've had some good interactions. We've, but um, but he he ministers to athletes, and he ministered to athletes here at CSU for a long time. And he talked about how important it was—not that it was bad, but how careful he had to be about honoring. Their performances. Because his job was to elevate the love of Christ in these guys' lives. And for most of them, their identity was in the performance on Saturday evening or whatever, you know, on the football team. And he had to be careful what he was honoring. Because what he was really trying to honor was the things of God in them, which was maybe not as well developed as their throwing skills or their catching skills, but was the thing that was really eternal. In their life. All right. Third language that we use. Um, the language that we use. There, there was. There's a book called The Culture Code. It's it's just a, a business book. and I enjoy those things. And and I haven't finished it yet. But it taught. It was talking about. They did this experiment where they took these guys, or this one guy, who he had three roles. Um, he was uh, the laggard sometimes sometimes he was the jerk uh, sometimes he was right? kind of like. <laughs> and and he would they would put him into groups uh, I believe of university students with projects but it was it was basically uh, business project groups with a task and and his job was to basically um, infect the team <coughs> with his laziness or whatever you know, whatever it was. And to see how easy it was. They found this one guy could completely change the, the feeling in the room, the environment, the energy in the room in a team even as large as 40 people. So a team of 40 people could be thwarted. The energy, the excitement, the motivation, the passion, all that could be thwarted by one guy who was just putting his head on the table. And they found before you knew it, there were a bunch of other people with their heads on the table. Until they got to this one group, and they found this actually there was this one uh, team that was the outlier. They were trying to figure out why. And they found out there was one guy in this team that was thwarting basically the jerk um, every time that he tried to basically redirect the, the team. And what this guy was doing was he was absorbing any of the negative that this guy was throwing out. And he would kind of laugh it off, and he'd be like, yeah, you're probably right, yeah, we're like well, like that. You know, he make it lighthearted, and he would redirect the group with, with a sense of honor, and encouragement, and purpose. And what, they, what they're what they finding is that we have this instinct within us, you know, we're, we're really kind of a herd mentality as, as a people group, and, and we're looking for, is this place safe? Is this safe? And, and if one person is acting like this is a waste of time, there's almost this infectious, subconscious thing within us that says, We should not be here. This is a waste of time. I should not be doing this. It's something almost subconscious. But when someone comes in and just keeps encouraging, keeps honoring, keeps lifting up, keeps pointing the direction to the team to be like, Hey, let's keep going. This place is safe. This is a safe place. That it actually thwarted all the negative. Um, that, that's the one guy was trying to do. So your job is is in part to just be that person that is constantly pushing people forward in the low of Christ. You're going to have some guys or girls in your small group that are falling asleep on the side because they just don't care about Jesus. Or they're going to have that mindset that's going to be like thwarting what you're trying to do. You need to be someone who can just keep pushing the community forward by using the language you use, the encouraging, the lifting up, the, the honoring. We'll get into some of, the, some of that a little bit next hour here. But uh, lastly, uh, also we do things like maxims, quite literal um, statements that uh, kind of encapsulate a principle in scripture. We did some of those maxims last week, um, but, but maxims are just like pithy sayings, but they're basically encapsulating a principle in a memorable way. And, and common language is a core to culture. It's a core to how culture is created. Um, and so we, we do things like use common language uh, in that way. Uh, and then experiences that we share, right? Here we are at Easter day, right? Easter, celebrating together. And it seems like almost anywhere in Christendom I can say, he is risen. risen. <laughs> and you know what to say, right? There's this both language but experience, right? And so Jesus would set up these things like baptisms or communion or things as memories for us to share. And you know, it's funny, I have been baptized and therefore I've been somehow tethered over time and space with every other follower of Christ who has experienced that same thing. There is experience that holds us together, that ties us together, and it creates a sense of value. What does a community value? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Um... All right, so transformative culture, we need (coughs) to be the ones intentionally creating it. When I went to Sam and experienced honor, it was great, but then when we came back here and pioneered here, we realized it was so easy to lose that culture because we were now the ones leading, creating it. Here's the thing, I do not create the culture of the outpost. I can give you some direction, I can encourage you But you're the ones that the other students are taking their cues from, not me. You're the ones that are going to shape the way the culture of the outpost looks for the next generation. You're the one who is going to lead the ministry, not me. And so I am challenging you, charging you, that we need to create a culture that is transformative, that is going to transform this campus, that is going to transform this university. Not just be a holy huddle or or somehow passively just be like everything else in this world. We need to be transformative in our culture. Okay, take five minutes. And then, we're gonna, and then you guys know your assignment. Uh, get get with your cohort leaders. And talk about last week uh, on the stump. Talk about this week and your strategy. Five people, five people to pray for. Alright, so, my staff... That showed up, my our leaders. You guys are released. Uh, Brent needs you back at uh, leadership, so thank you for your flexibility tonight. And see you guys after so some little announcements. After this, uh, anybody that would like to, the leadership team, uh, who is just down the hall, uh, and any of you guys who have time tonight, you're not running home to get homework done before school starts this week. We're gonna just go to to Sonic. Over on Elizabeth. So feel free. We'll kind of be doing that after uh, all this. We're all ending at about nine tonight, so we're going to just head over there after that. So uh, if you got to go home, we understand. But if you'd like to hang out and uh, some transformative community time, uh, we'll be transforming Sonic tonight. So um, just a couple last things here, and then we're gonna I'm gonna move on to our next thing. But just. Uh, Two things I realized I didn't really get to. One, in experiences we share, just just an interesting way of thinking about it is experiences promote beliefs. Experiences promote beliefs. What we experience promotes our values, uh, because our values typically are shaped by our experiences, good or bad. Uh, beliefs impact actions, and actions reinforce the culture. So, <clears throat> so there's just kind of a little bit of a. Kind of what they call a virtuous cycle there. Yes? Yes. Uh, experiences promote beliefs, right? So when we start talking about, like, memory creation here, I'm kind of looking at this, experiences we share. But, like, memory creation is a huge way of creating. But those experiences, experience, almost always, if I have psychology, our values typically are from our experiences, right? Sometimes they're good or bad. My wife has... Um, Almost a stronger, and this almost sounds bad saying it this way, but I think you'll understand what I mean. She almost has a stronger conviction uh, for good or bad, richer for poor, in sickness and in health, I will never leave my husband. Almost, almost a stronger conviction walking into our marriage than I had. I, it wasn't that I don't have that strong conviction, but I came from a family that just, it was just assumed but hers was actually a bad one. She came from like multiple broken like marriages that her mom had, and she watched that. And that negative actually reinforced this like intentional, strong conviction, where it's just really kind of an assumption of mind, which you could say is a value, but maybe not a strong one, as that conviction that they So our experiences should promote our beliefs. Our beliefs impact actions, and actions reinforce our culture. When Downing Thomas experienced Jesus, uh, you know, the risen Christ, you know, like that kind of impacted his beliefs, right? And those things shaped that. Um, now, if you have a Christian, which hopefully a number of people actually will be Christians in your smaller community, in your life, um, because you need them to help you create that community of belief, right? That community that you're modeling this like passion for Jesus and pursuing it for them. If they're all, like I've got six like lost, people, that that's going to be a hard dynamic to foster that unless you start going up in the structure of the outpost into like your cohort, your resource group to kind of create that community they can do life in, in transformative community. But uh, if you have followers, this is, again, everything that I'm saying is like, take this with a grain of salt. I would take this with a grain of salt if I were you. But I find these structures helpful to kind of think through. If you have a follower of Christ... This is just one uh, graph that you can use. Uh, how do I pour into them? Brotherhood with you and your community, like is the priority the brotherhood with you and your community? Or is priority like really going heavier in re- the relationship with God? On this side is, am I unstructured with my approach? Or on this side is like, are we having like coffee every Tuesday at 10 at Wild Boar to like talk through how things are going, right? Structured or unstructured? and. And basically, this is, on this side, you typically do unstructured because of high time. Like freshmen have like all the time in the world, they just don't realize it yet, right? So high time, you tend to be maybe a little less structured because unstructured is easier to create relational tethers in in less structure. Uh, it It synthesizes that life togetherness. Structured is like low time. You've got your engineer doing their senior project, right? You might have to be like, okay, let's be a little more structured with this. Still trying to like show them every aspect of your life or pursue them in the different aspects of their life. Um, still trying to create memories and stuff, but you might be a little more structured. Uh, relational, relationship with God, you know, do they have and this is just an obvious like what's stronger? Do they have like I have her best friends, but they have very weak relationship with God, vice versa. So, in each of those quadrants, um, here unstruck they have high time and low relationship with God. Uh, Love and laughter is a huge value to emphasize. Also, third space, uh, and just let the transformative community infect them in just that unstructured living room space, just doing life together kind of way there. Um, Let's say they have low relationship with God, uh, but they still have a lot of time. Uh, Really emphasize just any and all ways you can think of doing life together um, and invite them into that. Um, If they have a low relationship with God and low time, you got to really make it count. So this is where I I would really emphasize like, um, oh yeah, and things like here, like invite them into your Devo life. Things like that. Like really um, invite them into those parts of your life that are heavy on, on your faith. Like, just do a Devo life with them, that kind of thing. If you have a low, low relationship with God and low time, um, especially here, because you don't have a lot of time to waste, uh, inviting them into those aspects of your life that are related to faith, like your devotional life, is huge. Uh, I encourage guys a lot of times here to do like a Bible study or get the reason for God and walk through every week. We're going to walk through a chapter of this and kind of talk through this or those kind of things. So, you're a lot more structured here. Uh, because, you know, they just don't have a lot of time to kill, um, and the need is always heaviest. like, we need to grow this here. If they're like, okay, I've got to walk with God, I'm growing in that, but my connection to the brotherhood or community, which is going to be critical for their long-term faith, this is a scary place. I see this all the time, because they think they're fine, because they got a relationship with God, but their tether to you or the community is weak, um, and they have low time. This one um, is is... Maybe the toughest thing uh, sometimes, to be honest. But this one, um, do nothing alone is maybe the principle of live by. Do nothing alone. Go to the grocery store. Dude, you don't have time. You don't have time, but you need to go get groceries. Let's get groceries together. Let's, you know, anytime we can eat together. Anytime we can just do nothing alone. Get them to do nothing alone. Um, but do it with purpose. You know, we're just talking about you know our thought life and our love for the Lord as we're hand off to to King Supers um, you're also looking for opportunities to serve them heavily here and again this is not this is just a metric use it if you like don't if you don't um, it's not to say okay well, I don't have to serve because you know my guy is high time low relationship with God of course you have to serve it's just a way of thinking about yeah what is, it that, what is the, the top of that uh, y-axis the under brotherhood with you low rel, just low relationship okay. low relationship with the community and you so it, it's just it's just highlighting brotherhood with you and the community is low gotcha. uh, relationship with God is low um, structure because they have low time unstructured because they have high time um, this is the very I've said today this is one is probably the one I take with the biggest grain of salt but I feel like it is still helpful to kind of just if nothing else, to force you to think intentionally with your guy, with your girl, how am I pushing them forward in that deep relationship with you and the community and God? How am I pushing them into that community? How am I pushing them into that relationship with God? How are we modeling and pushing them into that deeper place of brotherhood, into through those kingdom connections, into that kingdom relationship with our community and our God? Um, a couple of resources, uh, or well, a resource here. We have our website, that you guys can look at later, xacsu.com um, is a great one. Uh, it has some stuff. Uh, also, UVA, um, this is what they're known in alpha nationally. This is what they're known for. Uh, University of Virginia. Uh, they have awesome resources. And if you ever care, ww.xa at uva.com backslash one dash on dash one dash resources. Uh, but they have a bunch of one-on-one resources. Especially if you're talking like especially if you're talking like in this spectrum here. Low time, low relationship, right? Um, with God, you need to be really structured. You know, you know, apologetics book might be good. So can just like some of these uh, resources here. They're great. You know, whether or not you formally do that with them, that can be great. Or just read it and give you a thought, like, okay, this is something I should talk about, and these are this some resources to think through that. Um, all that stuff is good. Okay. Um, the question that you need to be asking, no matter what, the question that you need to be asking is, how do I help them love God more? Jesus said, love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Right? So your question should be, how can I help them love God? Where are they weak? Or where are they strong? But where, how can I help them love God more? Man, they've got a great thought life. But they're horrible at like, I don't know, their devil life. Actually acting it out or stepping out in faith. Right? Like we just need to go. We need to go do like some extra, let's just go prayer walk on campus. Let's go pray for people today. Right? Or, you know, hey, they, my my. Thought life is good, my mind is good, but my, my soul is not so strong, my evil life isn't good, or my you know, my strength. Like hey, I want to go act out uh, service uh, to people love people, or um, my soul, my emotions. You know, I know God is good, but my emotions uh, are just getting the better of me. How can how can you know, I don't I don't feel love for God? I know I serve God, but I, I don't feel that love for God. How can I grow that um, in our Relationship. How can I push that relationship along to a deeper place? Because, again, we're pushing towards relationship. Relationship, the Trinity models. Okay. Uh, let's get into our next bit here uh, with the time that we've got. Grit. I have a cousin. He's about six years younger than me. And he, about a little over a year ago, a uh, year and a half ago, he, he actually just went through his Uh, ceremony this uh, last 12 months. But I have a cousin who is a Navy Navy SEAL. Pretty cool. Um, I thought, well, that's interesting. It's kind of comical because he was, when I was growing up, that little twerp cousin who was just too small to hang out with the cooler older cousins like me and you know, the ones of us that were a little bit older like that, right? But now he is a Navy SEAL and can kill me six ways with his pinky finger, right? (laughs) So that's kind of interesting. But uh, he went through Hell Week about a year ago and as part of Hell Week, it was everything that you hear about. Uh, In fact, sadly, one guy even actually passed away in the middle of Hell Week. Like, uh, they, they tried to revive him. He went under during a swim and they couldn't bring it back. It's that intense. About 50% of the people uh, don't make it through Hell Week. And these are people that already have been filtered out for physical stamina, intellectual capacity, um, all, all of that kind of stuff, leadership, potential. Like they've filtered out through, for all of those things, and yet still only about 50% of them make it. Now, my cousin went through Hell Week, and sadly, right before, it started. He got the flu, of course, um, because when it rains, it pours. And here he is, and he is not able to do have any drugs. He can't get any medicine because nothing that could numb your senses is allowed, no matter what. Uh, you have to experience hell week in all of its entirety for what it is and grit through it yourself. So they can't give him any drugs. They can't give him any medicine. They can't give him a leave. Uh, he has to go through it or quit. Now, 50% of them quit anyway. so for the first half of the week, the trainers were trying to get my cousin to quit. They're like, he's going to quit anyways, we just want him to get out the door, move on, so that he can we can focus on the guys who actually might make it. It was so rough, and he would, he started the week running, he would run like half a mile, and I'm not trying to be grotesque, but just, you know, he would pull over to the side of the road and just throw up, and then he'd run another half mile and drop his drawers, and just, and then he would know, just, He's just doing it, he's just going through it, but he made it. Half Halfway through the week, the trainers actually started trying to help him instead of trying to hurt him because they realized if he could make it this far with what he was going through, they wanted him. So they started trying to help him and he got through the whole week. Why is it that some people, like my cousin, were able to make it through hell week while others didn't? The aptitude, potential, the, the talents, the intellect, the physical aptitude. All of that is already pre-established. What causes some people to make it and others not? The, the thing that we're talking about for the last little bit we've got is grit. And how are we gritty? Now, as a small group leader, we're basically asking you to be grittier than you ever had in your life. Be ready. That's what we're asking you to do. Because there, you're going to go out there and you're going to step out in ways you just never, I've never preached, period, let alone, or share my testimony, period, let alone preach on the stump. Like that's just, you know, like you're going to go through things. And some people, um, some people you know, things are going to be tough at times. It's awesome. Man, yeah, when you see somebody coming to the Lord, when you see somebody's life being transformed, when you see these, it is so awesome, it's so worth it. But there are other times when it doesn't feel so awesome. You know, like that person you were pursuing just, you know, doesn't want anything to do with you, or they deny you, or you just kind of, you know, you, sh- you do your weekly meeting, and a lot of the guys you thought were coming don't show up. You're going to have this temptation to be like, well, I don't know if this is worth it. Maybe I'm not made cut out for this, that kind of thing. What we are saying is you need to have a certain level of greediness about yourself. Smaller clear. And you know, we've we've done this for years, and I have often seen people who I thought, man, they just have like incredible potential, they're just charismatic, people are just drawn to them. It's just like, I mean, they you know grew up you know memorizing John 3:16 when they were three, like they're just man, it's just gonna be awesome. you know, they're gonna be awesome, and they do nothing, nothing for the kingdom of God, and other guys. Uh, just seem like man, guys, gals, just go out there, and I'm like, man, Lord, help them. They just, you know, you need to help them, and they do incredible things, incredible things. Now, one of my, one of the small group leaders early on in our ministry uh, was this guy named Brent Kaiser, and he doesn't wouldn't mind me sharing this, but Brent Kaiser, uh, when he was a first year small group leader, was not. Uh, the one I held the highest hope in.
1: He was brand
0: new as a Christian, he was kind of awkward, he didn't really, I mean he did grow up in the church so he had a certain level of intellectual understanding of, of faith but but he, he didn't seem like, I mean he had just spent a year before that he was like hiding in his dorm room lo- looking through the people as people would walk by but he didn't know how to interact with people. You're like I'm like I don't know but, but Brent and but there were other guys like man I mean this guy's like, I this guy's so cool like I'm like ten years older than him but I like kinda of want to hang out with him because he's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so cool you know? right? But but the guys, here's was the funny thing, the guys who you know, I thought like, oh man, he's so cool. Nothing happened. Literally nothing happened. There wasn't the humility. And there wasn't the greediness. Brent went out there, and I to be honest with at first, you know, it, it was like kind of how I feared, like oh, nothing's happening. And, but Brent had this greediness about him. And he just refused to give up. In fact, it was harder than he thought at first, and instead of backing out, he doubled down and said, I'm gonna fight for people. I'm gonna learn how much I have to fight for people, but it's worth it. And Brent became, very quickly, our best small group leader. Without question, and is my right-hand man, and somebody I respect deeply and dearly in my life. But the first time I watched him walk out the door, I was like, I don't know, we'll see. What happens? And the reason, the difference, you could say a sense of desperation for sure, but he was gritty, and and you saw that in his life. So I was at the university here with the Dean of Students office uh, a couple years ago now, maybe two years ago, and they made this comment, uh, and this is not to speak over you guys in any way, but just to understand the culture that you're around, the environment that you You know are part of the air that you breathe Um, they they made this they showed us this study that's been going on for like 50 years on universities all over the country Um, and they said the students right now on average again not speaking over anybody or anything but on average the students right now are the least resilient generation we've ever seen and and they're trying to work through like how do we help students get through college when there's this lack of resilience. Like, this is not a CSU thing, this is a national trend. Um, and and just to understand kind of the environment around you. Because I was talking with Dick Foth and he made this comment, which made it, of course makes sense if you know Foth, anything he says like, oh yeah, okay. But but you just say, you know, it makes so much sense because in a world that has rarely seen commitments, how are we supposed to expect young people to be resilient in the face? Commitment to us to our generation. Well, I told you guys last week, I'm actually like in the sub you know generation right before you guys, I guess. But, but in your generation, kind of millennials, whatever you're getting to now. But in that generation, I mean, on average, you've experienced so much less commitment, and there's generally a perception that, man, if I commit to something, I'm gonna miss out on something. Instead of transforming anything, it's about consuming everything. And if it's not as good as I thought it was going to be, it's because I missed out on the thing on the other side. So I don't want to, don't want to commit because then I might miss out on the thing that was really what I wanted to be a part of over here. And, and it leaves this transientness uh, in our community, in our culture, and in our world. Um, Brent talked a couple weeks ago, I think, on, on the power of buy-in. And it's a little bit of what we're talking about here, but we're actually going a little bit further in the area grid itself. Um, But small group leading is going to require a grittiness to To say I'm going to double down, I'm going to fight for people, I'm going to commit to people in a way that (coughs) is unusual and strange in our world today. Um, So a couple of couple of things, we're going to just fly through some of this stuff. If you would like to take a grit test, it's kind of entertaining, kind of fun. (coughs) Angela Duckworth is one of the leading uh, psychiatrists in this fields you can actually watch her ten minute uh TED talk. Uh her her book is exceptionally better than that. But um, you can actually take that. It's a real simple like uh, 10 question test. Um the thing that's interesting is what she highlights is grit is not something innate within someone. It's not something that is just intrinsic within you. It's something that is developed, grown, and it's like a muscle that you have worked or not worked out well. But there are common uh Attributes to whether or not you are gritty. And I want to just look through a couple of those for a little bit of time we've got. Um, the first one how do you grow grit? How do you grow a sense of grittiness in your life? How are you a person who just, even if you're going through the flu in the middle of hell week, you just aren't going to quit, it doesn't matter what. One is a sense of purpose. If you wrote down every goal you have in your life for the next two months, every goal. I want to get at least a 3.2. I want to make it to 80% of my classes. I don't know you can do more than that. But you know I, whatever it is, what's every goal that you've got? I want to get an internship for the summer. Write down every goal. I want my Devo life. You know, I want to spend you know, an hour with the Lord every morning. I don't know what it is. But write down every single goal you've got. Here's the question. One of the things that they find is critical to a gritty life, and one of the reasons why it's so difficult in this world, because of this countless um, options and things that are constantly changing, is a, is a consistency of goals. Meaning... What they find is that if, if what you'll find is some goals serve other goals, right? One of my goals, I want to get to class like 100% of the time this semester. For the rest of the semester, I got to get, get my grades up. I'm going to make it to every class the rest of the semester. Okay, well, what is that goal really serving? It's serving another goal. I want to get a good grade, which is serving another goal. I want to get a good degree, which is serving another goal. I want to get a good career, which is serving another goal like... At some point, you find you get, once you write down all your goals, you find you get to this place uh, where they talk about top-level goals, uh, which really get to another conversation about what they call ultimate concerns. There has to be something that is, is a means unto itself. that it is not a goal to another goal. A means unto itself. People who have grittiness have a singularity of ultimate concern in their life. Everything is serving some ultimate concern. I was, yeah, in Angela Duckworth's book, she talks about uh, one of the famous baseball pitchers of all time and how he would decide whether or not to go to Hawaii uh, on the off season, not because he didn't have enough money, he had loads of money, Uh, or the time, yeah, he was on off season, but whether or not he might get a sunburn because that might inhibit him practicing for three days next week, which would hurt his season next year, which was about trying to get back to the, you know. So his, he would assess everything, almost to kind of this extreme level, but everything he did was filtering through this ultimate concern. People who have that, they've done these studies of all the world's major world leaders throughout history that we know of and have enough biographies about to be able to research. They find this is one of the common traits. Their their ultimate concern is singular in in essence. Now, in the world, they actually talk about, like, oftentimes you can't have, like, a ultimate concern. Uh, You just have to have, like, as few as possible. But I was thinking, like, that's actually not true. Because in our Christian faith, everything, family, work, hobby, everything can ultimately fall under this ultimate concern. As the old creed says, to, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That everything should ultimately lead up to that. My classes, my degree, my career, my small group leading, my job, everything that I do, even my hobbies at some level, is like, am I glorifying God? Am I enjoying Him in this? Or is this my escape from Him in my life? Um, But what they find is a lack of greediness oftentimes comes from a lack of, or from competing goals. Because once you start getting into multiple, um, multiple ultimate concerns or ulti- or multiple high level goals, you start to get into competition within yourself. There's this internal battle, right? I want, I want to be a small group leader, but I also want to be like the best, uh, rock climber, I don't know, uh, you know, and I, and I want to like, I want to like be in like five different clubs and I want to like, you know, whatever. It's like you'll start to compete. At some point, it starts to be like, you know, and we try to emphasize like, let's infuse, you know, ministry into your life. We're not trying to add anything more than possible, but infuse your life, your life with ministry. But at some level, there is a certain level of like, you know, we're asking you to be committed, to be resilient, to be ready, to be know, consistent. And uh, and sometimes those goals start to compete with each other. Uh, they talk about low-level goals need to be things that are like written in pencil. All right, I'm gonna to try to build a small group community around my life next year. And uh, you know, I'm gonna go out on the football game days, and there's lots of people there, the whole, you know, ton of the universities there, so I'm gonna to try to reach out to people and maybe that actually works. But maybe you're like, ah, that didn't work very well, right? Like, everybody was with their own friends, there's lots of distraction, nobody wants to talk at that point, they just want to watch the game. So maybe that didn't work so well. So I'm going to cut that, right? That low-level goal, I'm going to be at the games every time that they play. I'm going to cut that, Now I'm going to try to, like, I'm going to reach out to that kid in my class that I haven't talked to, you know. And also, that works well for you, right? Low-level goals, you write in pencil. You're kind of working them out because they're serving higher-level goals. These lead to those... Uh, ultimate uh, top-level goals, which need to be written more in stone, right? My goals to transform, like a high-level goal for me, transforming CSU uh, for the cause of Christ, or to make, you know, a medium-level goal is to make disciple makers, right? I want to make disciple makers out of you guys, so that we can actually see this university transform for the cause of Christ. Because my ultimate concern is to glorify Him, to advance His kingdom in this world. Right, and the higher up we go, I ain't, I ain't making disciple makers. I'm not like I'm not skimping on that to save the world, you know. Whether or not we do door move ins or whether we do university events or things like those, are good goals we figured out kind of work well, but you know, those are always fluid. But how, uh, how consistent are your goals? They talk about this idea like social fantasizing if you don't have. If you don't have low-level goals, you'll never get to your ultimate sense, right? It's like, hey, I want to be a professional athlete someday. They actually say, like, for a little while, it'll make you really feel good. It actually feels good because you're like, oh, it's going to be so awesome someday when I'm, like, Hall of Fame. How cool will my life be then, all that. But then you're not getting up in the morning to do practice to get to, like, on the team to become that all-star. And over time, it actually becomes I uh, think of disillusionment for you and frustration because know this is called social fantasy. You don't have those low-level and medium-level goals. If you want to be a small group leader, like okay, I want to be a really effective, have a legacy here, I have an effective small group community. But you don't think, how can I reach out this week to the people around me in my world? You're never gonna get there. So, what are your low-level, medium-level, high-level goals? And does your life compete in its goals, um, or are they synergy? Okay. Another thing is Outlook. Um, outlook is huge. Uh, let's, let's talk about uh, three masons. There's these three masons and they're and they're laying brick. And one of them you come up to and he says, What are you doing? And he says, I am I am laying brick. Okay? You go up to the next mason and say, What are you doing? He so, says, I'm building a church. The third one you go up to he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a place of worship for my God. All three are being truthful, but their outlook is completely different. One is just, I'm just doing this because I have to do this because it's just what I do. The other one is kind of thinking through like, well, okay, it has like some like career benefit. It has some like benefit for my future and my, you know, like this will look good on my resume. Like, hey, I've worked on this kind of level of a building and that kind of thing. The other one has this altruistic benefit. It has this, has this outlook that says, this is going to be worth it. This is worth all the sacrifice, all the work, all the labor that I'm putting into, because I am building something that is, that is greater than myself. And they talk about, basically, this idea that we are gritty based on whether or not we have this sort of growth versus fixed mindset. Is what we call it. Growth versus fixed mindset. Um, Answer this question in your own mind. No matter how much intelligence you have, you can always change it a good deal. Do you agree or disagree? The answer is just, do you agree or disagree? Or, do you agree or disagree that you can learn new things, but you cannot really change your basic level of intelligence? That's a question that can kind of help you think through. Do you Are you fatalistic? Are you fatalistic? If you're fatalistic, you're going to say, I failed that test because I'm not smart enough. And what it leaves you is, I just shouldn't try. It's just who I am. It's just what I am. I'm just gonna give up. But if you have this outlook that says, I didn't do good on the test, and an optimistic, uh, uh, growth mindset says, I can change my situation. I can change it. You know, I didn't study enough because I was, you know, watching, binging on Netflix till two in the morning the night before. I should have done that. I know I should have done. You know, I, I, if I did this. If I changed that, I think I can change the outlook. I think I can change the future. If you have a fixed mindset, you're going to come into small group leading and be like, I am a horrible small group leader. I am not outgoing enough. I am not smart enough. I am not charismatic enough. I'm not friendly enough. I'm not loving enough. And you're going to say, it's just who I am. I should just give up. What well, was me? But a growth mindset keeps looking. That's what, that's what Brent was, right? You're just like, okay, what can I do more? How can I pursue these guys better? How can I like love them in a more real and truthful way? How can I, you know, what can I do? I can change what I'm doing, I can change the, the outlook of my life. If you're a pessimist, you typically don't go anywhere. If you're an optimist, you're looking for reasons why you can change. Um, okay. Power motivation. Power motivation. Um, why are you here? Why are you here? Um I've often I've often thought through this tension in the Gospels is is Jesus okay with a certain level of selfishness or is he pushing me to altruistic outlooks You know he says give up everything because it's worth it for you it's like a pearl of great price like a treasure in the field That seems like Jesus is kind of saying like hey this is this is actually a pretty you're gonna get a lot out of this so in a self-serving sort of way you need to just kind of think like just it's worth it but other times he's telling peter you're like hey you're gonna die if you follow me right like you, you know it's he, he, other times he's challenging them pushing them outside of that lot and it's kind of interesting uh, i'm sure they're probably gonna get further along in, in this but it's interesting they used to think in psychology that that um, self-focus and altruistic motivation were, were two sides of the spectrum. What they're actually finding now is that they're actually two separate spectrums. Um, that I can say, I want to see the kingdom of God furthered on CSU. And I can say, and I want my life to be part of that change. And those things are not in competition with one another. That those are both saying when when the you know the creed says to glorify God and enjoy him forever, it's like they were saying the same thing but looking at it through two lenses. They were doing it intuitively. It's the ultimate purpose is to glorify him because he's worthy. No matter whether or not I get anything out of it, he's worthy. But the other one is I want to enjoy him forever. Because because he wants me to enjoy him forever, but there's this benefit. And if if my motivation When my motivation is like, God, when it comes together in that sense of like, yes, God, I know this is what you're calling me to do. I know it's worth it for me and for your kingdom. That's where you become the greatest, you become the strongest. If you think you're just like, I'm such a servant of God. I'm doing this selflessly, completely. And there's no thought like, hey, I'm going to, this is beneficial to my life or to just my sense of faith. Um, Typically, it's kind of like, okay, how do I where do I go with that? I'm doing this because I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I think He's the most valuable thing in all of creation. I think to have a future with Him is better than a future without Him in eternity. And therefore, even though He is glorified and He is great, and He's going to be great, whether or not I am in heaven with Him, I want to be in heaven with Him because heaven is going to be awesome and I want to enjoy it with Him in that kind of relationship. I want that kind of relationship. But... Whether or not I get anything out of it, he's just worthy. He's just worthy. And whether I spend all my future eternity with him or without him, he is just worthy of the world, the praise of this world. So I'm going to fight for both of those reasons. Because I want to enjoy him in eternity. And because he's worthy of being enjoyed by the world around us. Does that kind of make sense? And so we come to our faith and we realize we become grittiest when we realize Jesus said, hey, this is worth it for you. This is worth it. This is more valuable. You need to realize what is really valuable and, and realize this is more valuable than anything else. That's going to help motivate you. But also realize that if you're motivated on a selfish ambition, you're just going to move on the first time you find some short-term benefits to not serving God. <laughs> it needs to be something greater. When you realize the Lord loves you, and you want to see the kingdom of God advance on this campus because He is worthy, and you want your life to matter, you want your life to have a legacy, you want to be part of that story of transformation. When those two things are lined up, you have this grittiness about you. Um, in that, so motivation. Um, ultimately, we're about trying to make disciple makers, but our motivation. Needs to be, we, have, we have a hierarchy of goals that are going to the same end. We can't be competing with like 10 different things that are constantly in competition. It will leave us uncertain uncertain how to make decisions and how to decide and how to push forward. We'll spend so much energy competing within our own mind of what to do or what not to do that will not go anywhere very far. We need to have an outlook that says, God, in you, I can do all things. In you, I am able to do this. I must become small that you can become great, but I know that you are going to equip me and grow me if I will just learn to actively surrender to your teaching and guidance and direction in my life. I know my outlook. I can change how I am right now in the sense that I can change my effectiveness, my effectiveness in sharing the love of Christ to this campus. And I want my life to matter, and I want your glory to be given to you because you are so worthy. And when we say that, we have this greediness about us. They'll keep us pushing forward, even when things get tough, even when things get difficult, and when things are awesome and worthy of being celebrated. We'll push forward in the good and the bad, in the high and the low, and we'll have this greatness that says, no matter what, I am just going to make it happen. I'm just going to fight. I am just going to see my friends come to work Lord and come to love Him. And we say that sometimes of well, our little sort of maxims. Is, in your heart, at times, you have to say, for better or for worse, for richer for poorer, over my dead body, you going to live a stupid life because I'm not to fight for you. And that's a place of greediness that requires, you know, we need to be an army, an army that fights for this world. And that requires a little greediness. My cousin can endure that much pain and torment and discomfort for the sake of being on a military team, which is great, but in all of eternity, Is that going to matter? We get to actually help reach eternal souls. Isn't that something worthy of being a little bit greedy about? All right. Happy Easter. He is risen. And if you guys would like to hang out, we are going to be heading over to Sonic right after this.